Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we did it. We made it all the way through that Athanasian Creed. What a mouthful that thing is. It's easy to get tripped up. But it wasn't concocted to torture us with a long and laborious confession of our faith. Instead, it came, actually, out of a hard-fought war. Not a physical war, though there were riots and protests, but a war of words, a war of ideas, of philosophies and doctrine. It wasn't just a war that would be dismissed, like the differences, perhaps, between Lutherans and Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterians and the like. Instead, it was a war for the very heart of Christianity herself. And it began at the Council of Nicaea, just outside of Constantinople. And it was a war with battles skirmishes that are still raging even today. It is the differences between Christians and others like Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Unitarians, and other cults and false understandings of the Christian faith. You see, this war had to do with the very nature of God. There were some who taught that God and Jesus were exactly the same person, but who revealed himself in different roles, much like an actor who would play one part here and then another part here. Sometimes we see him as the Son, sometimes we see him as the Father, sometimes we see him as the Holy Spirit. Do you know what they call that view of God? It's easy to remember. Modalism. Because... It has God in different modes. (laughs) Sometimes theology is easy. Modalism. This is very similar to what the Unitarian churches teach today. Some, however, during the Council of Nicaea, before and even after, believe that Jesus was not God But he was united with God in purpose, is what they taught. They believed that Jesus was actually the first creation of God, and that all other things were created through him. So, they said, Jesus was a creature, the first creature that God created. But he was not God. This view was being promoted by a deacon named Arius. So guess what we call this heresy today? Arianism. See? Arianism. And it is the basic understanding of God held by the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses today. These differences are why we do not consider Unitarians, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, or anyone who denies the triune God to be Christian. They are what we call heretics. Not a popular word today, I know. But this is also why the Athanasian Creed itself 
states boldly and plainly, whoever desires to be saved must, above all, hold the Catholic faith. How many Catholics we have in the house today? <laughs> I see one. Okay. Hopefully that'll change in a moment. <laughs> the Athanasian Creed says those strong words. Whoever desires to be saved must above all hold the Catholic faith. And then goes into a whole diatribe of what Trinitarian theology is. But we need to understand what is meant by Catholic. It doesn't mean Roman Catholic, as this creed was written sometime before the Roman Catholic Church was fully organized. But it simply means, Catholic simply means universal or we could say orthodox. Or in Germany, because they didn't really have a word for what I understand for Catholic, they just used Christian. The Christian faith. The true faith. So now, how many of you are Catholic? <laughs> okay. With a little c. Not from Rome. While the Athanasian Creed is a mouthful to say, and it is the longest of the three creeds accepted in all of Christianity, it was, unfortunately, necessary. This creed was named after, not a bishop, not a pastor, not a priest. It was named after a deacon a deacon who was not allowed even to speak at the Council of Nicaea. Deacons didn't speak. Only pastors, priests got to speak. Bishops got to speak. His name was Athanasius. Hence the Athanasian. See how this works? We name things after people and things. Athanasian Creed is named after Athanasius. Athanasius was a Coptic Christian. If you're not familiar with the Coptics, they're in Africa. And probably the first Christian or organized Christian faith. The Coptics. And Athanasius was a Coptic from Africa. The story of Athanasius is a neat one. I would encourage you to look him up, Athanasius. But I won't detail his entire life. But he was, as I said, a deacon, not a pastor. He was a theologian. Basically, he is what we would call an elder in our church today. And he was small in stature. He was a little guy. He was often affectionately known as the Black Dwarf. <laughs> I wonder if we could get away with that today. But he made up for for his small stature in his grasp of scripture and theology. He was a powerhouse of proclamation on behalf of the Godhead of Jesus. While he wasn't able to speak at the Council of Nicaea, his bishop, Alexander of Alexandria, not named after him, Alexander spoke on his behalf. And with Athanasius' help. The biblical view of the Trinity was codified as the official teaching of Christendom. 
This brought unity and uniformity to the teachings of Christianity. It reassured the people of God as to what was the correct teaching of Scripture and what was outside of that teaching. This is, in fact, why we have creeds at all. To reassure us, to show us what Scripture says and thereby what it doesn't say. These men at this council, they they knew the Scriptures, knew the beliefs handed down to them and were great scholars. They were great teachers, preachers, and writers. Some of them we still celebrate today, like St. Alexander of Alexandria and his deacon Athanasius. And even another bishop who was there at the council, St. Nicholas. Yes, that St. Nicholas. The Athanasian Creed did not come directly out of the Council of Nicaea, though. Neither did the creed that bears the name of the city, the Nicene Creed. Both creeds came a little bit later, or were completed later. But the Athanasian Creed bears the name of the Black Dwarf, that determined deacon and courageous Coptic, Athanasius. The same Holy Spirit that sent out the disciples, sent out the apostles, inaugurating them. That same Holy Spirit was present at the Council of Nicaea, just as he was at the Diet of Worms, just as he was at your baptism, and just as he is here today. The Trinity is not an easy doctrine to grasp. In fact, I've heard people say the best way to describe the Trinity is to say what it is not, (laughs) instead of trying to say what it is. It's not this, and it's not that. Because it's so hard to understand. In fact, if you say you have fully understood it, you're either lying, or you're naive. Or you have risen to a higher plane of theological thinking and understanding than anyone else in the history of Christianity. It's a tough one. Notice how the Athanasian Creed itself struggles to make sense of a doctrine that, that well, it, it doesn't make sense. The Creed is repetitively redundant. Yes, I said that on purpose. And it tries to define the undefinable. But isn't that exactly what God is? Undefinable? We try to define Him. We try to box Him up. But we can't. Try to understand the fullness of God's glory. (laughs) Our Old Testament reading today, even Isaiah... couldn't do that. As he stood in the presence of God in the temple, as in his his vision the, the temple walls melted away and transformed into heaven, the very throne room of God, his creator. Isaiah stood there, I imagine, with his jaw on the floor. In awe. And he was humbled. 
He had just heard the seraphim surrounding the throne of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Heaven and earth are full of His glory. Isaiah hears them say this, and what is his response? Woe is me! I can't say that. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I dare not utter His name on these filthy lips. Oh, how I love Isaiah's statement, his confession. I mean, that should be our posture, our thoughts, our humble position as we enter into God's presence. Especially as we approach His presence in the Lord's Supper. Where we place Him on our lips. Just as the coal of the altar was placed on Isaiah's lips. Cleansing him of that uncleanliness that he had confessed and decried. That same, very same thing happens to us. Here. Why? I don't understand it. I don't understand the love of my God. I don't know why He would spare me after I have sinned against Him so often, so harshly, and so defiantly. And here I come to the altar. The pastor places a part of the sacrifice, a part of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world in my hand and on my lips. And He, like the seraphim, proclaims, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. How beautiful is that? I don't understand it, but I will accept it. And boy, do I rejoice in it. I accept it not because I understand it, but because it is what my God has declared. I accept it by faith. Faith given to me by my God through the work of His Holy Spirit and because of the work of Jesus the Christ. All of it to reconcile me, to reconcile you to the Father. All three members of the Holy Trinity at work on my behalf to forgive me, reconcile me, free me, and to love me. love you to forgive you my friends come to the altar today the triune God who we know not by understanding but by faith he is the one declared to us in the scriptures defended by the church fathers Worshipped by Christians throughout the world. He is the one calling people to Himself to be born again. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For He did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. 
but in order that the world might be saved through him. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. He shouldn't love us the way he does. But he does. And I'll accept that. By faith. Because my God has said so. Amen. And now may the peace that passes all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.